Mr. Sula. You can fly this thing, right? You kidding me, sir? Let's hope this doesn't get messy. What is this? I know your kind. You have no idea who we are. But you'll soon find out. You really want to head back out there? Can you imagine what we'll find? Alien despots hellbent on killing us. Deadly space viruses, anomalies that could wipe us out in an instant. Let's go! Hold on to something! It's gonna be so much fun. Star Trek Beyond. In theaters, Real D3D and IMAX 3D Friday. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the premiere episode of Is It Yours? The new podcast in which we ask ourselves, Is It Yours? This is actually the fifth episode of the show, but it's coming on first because uh, uh, excuse me, Star Trek Beyond just opened, and I wanted this episode to come out as close in time to that as possible. So it's jumping its place in the line, and it's coming on first. So there may be episodes after this where uh, I say it's episode one, episode two, or whatever. Just disregard all of that. Uh, We rate the movies here on the Jaws scale. And that is not necessarily a true ranking of the Jaws movies. If you listen to the next episode after this, you'll hear what I think of the Jaws movies. But for the purposes of this show, we rank them as Jaws, an all-time classic. Jaws 2, a solid movie, but not quite a classic. Jaws 3, a watchable movie, but not really particularly memorable. And Jaws 4, a piece of crap. So today I have an all-star cast here with me uh, from Two True Freaks. I've got Chris Honeywell. Hello! And I'm stealing from the Fire and Water Network, Mr. Ryan Daly. Hello. And Mr. Chris Franklin. Hiya. As we record this today, it is Sunday, and the movie opened on Thursday night. I know Ryan saw it on Thursday night. Chris Franklin saw it on Friday. Chris Honeywell and I both saw it yesterday. So it's very fresh in our minds. And this is the third movie in the new Star Trek franchise, uh, and... That has inspired a lot of uh, a lot of controversy over the lists. Well, the first one came out in 2009, so the list seven years. Uh, anybody listening to this should be forewarned that there are spoilers ahead, and I'm going to give the plot to this movie, and then we can jump into our discussion. Three years into its five-year voyage, the U- USS Enterprise arrives at Star Starbase Yorktown to replenish dwindling supplies while the crew takes shore leave, struggling to find continued meaning in being captain. James Kirk has applied for a promotion to Vice Admiral of Yorktown. Meanwhile, Hikaru Sulu reunites with his husband and daughter, Spock and Yoda Lahora end their relationship on amicable terms, and Montgomery Scott struggles to keep the ship operational. When an escape pod drifts out of a nearby nebula, and its occupant, Kalara, claims her ship is stranded on a planet in the nebula, the Enterprise is dispatched on a rescue mission. The rescue is an ambush, as the Enterprise is overwhelmed by a massive swarm of ships and badly damaged. The swarm's alien commander, Kral, boards the ship in order to retrieve an alien artifact Kirk had obtained in a recent mission. The swarm rips apart the Enterprise, and the saucer section crashes onto the planet. The crew is separated during the attack, with Sulu, Uhura, and a surviving crew taken captive. 
On their search for the artifact that Kirk hides from Kral, he and Chekhov discover that Kalara is Kral's ally. When she attempts to retrieve the artifact, they activate the sorcerer's still functional boosters to evade capture. Kalara is crushed by the sorcerer. Meanwhile, a seriously wounded Spock and Leonard McCoy attempt to find the other survivors. Spock tells McCoy that Ambassador Spock has died, and he intends to leave Starfleet to continue the Ambassador's work on New Vulcan. Having made it to the planet's surface alone, Scotty meets a scavenger named Jayla, who takes him to her makeshift home, the wreck of the USS Franklin, an early generation starship vessel that went missing over 100 years ago. With Scotty's help, the ship is repaired to functional order, and Kirk and Chekhov and McCoy and Spock reunite using the ship as a base. The group plans to raid Kral's camp to rescue the crew and transport them to the Franklin and escape the planet. Meanwhile, Kral tricks a member of Kirk's crew into handing over the artifact she had kept hidden for Kirk. Kral reveals the artifact is a missing half of an ancient bioweapon that can disintegrate a humanoid lifeform in seconds. With the device now complete, Kral intends to attack Yorktown and kill its inhabitants, and with advanced technology, go on to attack the Federation and destroy its unity. Kirk and the others free the crew as Kral launches from his camp with the bioweapon and leads his fleet, fleet to Yorktown and the Enterprise crew pursues Kral in the Franklin. Scotty is able to transport Spock and McCoy to one of the drone ships, where they eject the crew and discover how Kral's drone vessels coordinate. The group disrupts their communications with VHF transmissions, causing mass confusion that results in the fleet's destruction. Kral and his three remaining officers crash in Yorktown. As Kral escapes into the city, Uhura and Kirk discover from the Franklin Captain Logs, Kral is actually Balthazar Edison, the captain of the Franklin, a human soldier from before the Federation's formation. Edison became disillusioned with his life and purpose following the establishment of peace with, huma with humanity's enemies. When he and the crew were stranded in Nebula, he became convinced he had been cast aside. Having sustained his life using the alien technology on the planet that also physically deformed him, Kral Edison now plans to destroy the Federation in revenge for their perceived betrayal. Kirk pursues Kral to the Yorktown's ventilation system, where he attempts to unleash the bioweapon on the entire station. Kirk forces Kral to an ejection hole within the Yorktown, causing the weapon and Kral to be ejected, in, ejected into space, where the, where the weapon consumes Kral. Kirk is offered the promotion to Vice Admiral, but he declines in favor of retaining his captaincy. Spock decides to remain in Starfleet and resumes his relationship with Uhura. Jayla is accepted into Starfleet Academy on Scotty's recommendation. As the crew celebrates Kirk's birthday, they view the construction of their new ship, U.S. Enterprise A. The film ends with two dedications reading in loving memory of Leonard Nimoy, followed by for Anton. And I'm just going to jump right out with that. That was one of the things, I mean, it was very, very minor, but through the whole movie, I kept... You know, they reminded you of Leonard Nimoy's passing by having Spock pass, you know, away, which I thought they did so in a dignified manner. I thought that was pretty good. It was very much like Ca Captain America Civil War. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you know, except, you know, the actress who plays Peggy Carter hadn't actually passed away. Right, but right. But that's that's a good thing in my mind because they didn't make it so over the top that it, you know, that it changed the movie. I think, you know, if Leonard Nimoy was still alive, they could have well done that exactly the same way they did, and it would have been fine. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Leonard Nimoy has passed away, and, and that was just a reminder of it. But uh, throughout the movie, I kept seeing Anton Yelich and thinking, this poor this poor kid, you know, knowing uh -huh. that he passed away recently. Mm -hmm. But just as, as a, you know, as a, just a quick thing, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, 
it, it kept me riveted to my seat. I was enjoying the portrayals. I thought the story was pretty well put together. I do have some criticisms of it, and we can get into that as we go on. But overall, I found it to be a very enjoyable experience, and I'm curious to what you guys thought. And I guess I'm just going to go. I have the three of you on my Skype window, so I'll start with Chris Honeywell. What would you think? Well, I mean, you know what I thought of Into Darkness. Into Darkness is like I'm a sucker for movies. I can go into a movie, almost any movie, and sort of let go of whatever and ride along with it and then pick it apart afterwards. But Star Trek Into Darkness, like during that movie, I got angry, you know, towards the end of it. I was just like, screw this movie, screw new Star Trek. You know, I, I, it really pissed me off. So I was, you know, going to skip this one. And and when I did decide to watch it, I was going in even after hearing good things because Into Darkness was getting really good reviews. But I actually heard good things from people that I know like Star Trek. So I was like, OK, I'll give it another chance. And I gotta say, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. It's like they were listening to us. There were a lot of the problems that really bothered me from Into Darkness were dealt with. And I, I felt like I got delivered a, a, a bona fide Star Trek movie. It comes with all the problems that come with Star Trek movies. You know, I don't think I was delivered a Star Trek movie like, you know, Wrath of Khan, the motion picture era. But it was sort of an amalgam of the new Trek, um, uh, bits of of the original crew movies and bits of the the next generation movies, and it felt like a Star Trek movie to me. The way it played out, I you know I think there, there's some problems with the writing and the story, but this time those problems are sort of the problems that come along with your normal Star Trek movie. So I was pleased with that. I'm I I'm willing to let go of some. Really, st I'm willing to let go of the fact that Scotty said, you got to be careful or you'll get sucked into space. You don't get sucked into space. You get blown into space. <laughs> Every scientist knows that. That's a Scott. That's one of Scott Gardner's um, pet peeves, too. And, you know, to have Scotty say it, it was just like, oh, geez, Star Trek. Come on. But I mean, I enjoyed it. It 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 played out like a real like a real Star Trek story. It had some of the you know um, had a nice element of you know Kirk and Spock both being at the point in their career where they could move forward and are deciding to you know cause Spock's going to make some more Vulcan babies maybe and and be an ambassador and and Kirk's going to move up up in rank and you know and they do a good job of having the story sort of convince them that no maybe their place is on on the ship and uh it just it feels like okay they got the introduction out of the way then i don't know what the hell they got out of the way within the darkness but now it, it it's sort of what i wanted i wanted to see this crew this group of actors who i think do a great job carrying the movie you know instead of the the special effects or just the moving of the story as quickly ahead as possible you got the the cast in there it slowed down the movie a little bit compared to into darkness and the first one but i think that's a good thing i i i enjoyed it i'm looking forward to a second view to further pick it apart i'm very happy i'm i'm very relieved that i that it didn't into darkness out again yeah i i, I agree <laughs> uh ryan what'd you think i give it seven jawses Ooh. <laughs> um, Wait a minute, no. I don't know how to rank that. 
that's how we're doing it, right? Um, no, I I enjoyed it, but I had some I, I had some problems with it. But overall, I I think I agree with what you and with uh, Chris said. This one felt like a Star Trek movie, and of the three movies in the new rebooted Star Trek, I think this one felt the most like a Star Trek movie. Because uh, I I enjoyed Star Trek Into Darkness, but I don't think it was a Star Trek movie. It was just a different movie, and I, I understand that's why a lot of people hated it, because it didn't feel like Star Trek. This one did, and for the first half hour to 45 minutes, I was really enjoying this movie. I think this one does some of the smaller character moments between the cast and the crew better than almost any of the Star Trek movies that I have seen. And, and alert, I haven't seen them all. Um, so I really love those small character moments. I love the feel of it. It felt like a, an episode of original Trek, but when we get into the villain and his plot, that's when the movie started to have some hiccups for me that, that kind of took me out of it. Um, I, I thought the directing for the most part was fine. Not quite as polished as JJ Abrams. I thought some of the action sequences felt rushed and, and kind of hard to follow. The movie was also just dark, not in tone, but in actual visuals, like, a lot of and and it, there was a story purpose for it. I mean, we're dealing with ships that have crashed and don't have any power to them. But maybe it was just my theater experience. But there were moments where I was just I don't know where these characters are or what they're doing. So I don't know. I I I really liked it, and more than anything, I liked the tone and the spirit of the movie. But I had some problems with the plot and the villain that we'll get into greater detail later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you did hit on a couple of the criticisms that I have, and pretty much the yeah, criticisms too. that I have. And I guess we'll talk to them, talk about them a little bit more in depth as we go on. Uh, but in the meanwhile, Chris, uh, what do you say? Uh, well, I I really like this one. I think I think it's my favorite of the of the new Trek movie so far. Um, that's right now. You know, I might listen to this episode a couple years from now and say, "What the hell was I thinking?" But uh, right now, after coming out of the theater uh, just a few days ago, uh, I'm with I'm with you guys. It felt more like Star Trek. You had those great character interactions. In fact, you had probably well, to Ryan's point, point, maybe more than you got in the in most of the uh, original crew films. And, you know, just the fact that a lot of this takes place outside, I mean, I, I mean, it might not actually be outside, but on the surface of the planet, uh, it might just be good, uh, you know, green screening. But it felt like, you know, when I was a kid, I always liked a Star Trek episode that wasn't a bottle show, you know, where they beam down to a planet. Uh, so that that to me, that made it even feel more Star Trekky. I know that's kind of a trivial thing, but it just it just felt more authentic to Star Trek to me. And I think. You know, I think they they did a good job of getting the characters kind of past the uh, the kind of rougher versions in the first two movies. You know, like the edgier the edgier Kirk, and you know he's he's now he's, he's seasoned. He he was much more classic Kirk like, for instance, in this one. And Spock was a little more Spock like, I think, because he wasn't you know sucking Uhura's face through the whole movie, which. Still just seems unspock like to me. I'm sorry, I can't help it. I would you know, who wouldn't want to suck on her face? But you know, come on. You know, it's just <laughs> it's uh it's it's Spock, you know. If it was I think Kirk, part of Spock. I think part of that like when I, when I see the two of them together, it's just like, Why are you wasting your time with that that wet blanket? Yeah. <laughs> right. And how many times right. have you done that in real life though? 
Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be doing it in the movie theater with Uhura. Uhura should be with on my lap. <laughs> Star Trek is about idealism. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, I, I really so am I. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I really I had that. I'm with you guys. I had that Star Trek feeling uh, from the get go uh, with this one, and and uh, I. I'm kind of, you know, into darkness. I liked the first, like, half of it, but when they went into the whole con thing, I, I still kind of liked it because my son was so pumped up about it when we walked out of the theater that he made me like it more than I think I actually did because he was so enthusiastic about it, and he loves that movie, so it's kind of, I know he loves it, so I think it kind of made me get past some of my, like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. Why, you know, you don't go there. You didn't earn that yet, you know. Yes. Uh, but, but, but with this one, if they could have skipped into darkness and went straight from 09 into this one and it would have worked you know because you would have been farther along in their mission and i mean they had a would have had to win on their deep space mission but you know you could have just said that line we've been in deep space for three years and uh you know you can just kind of almost forget into darkness except that i guess scotty uses one of khan's uh missile pod thingies to get out i think that's what he got out in um with the ship because he got into something different and i read on imdb that's what it was so i'm taking their word for it but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. And if the rest of them, if they continue on, if they stay on this course, I think we're in for uh, some good Star Trek films. Yeah, I, I would also just add to that that I saw it last night with my two kids. Uh, my daughter is 16. My son is almost 19. Uh, he's seen all three of the new Trek movies. I'm not sure how much he's been exposed to original Trek. And I guess that's a failing for me as a dad. Uh, but he, he said he thought it was the best of the three that he saw. The best of the three new Trek. My daughter came along, and this was her first experience. She has never seen a Star Trek movie. She's never sat down and watched a Star Trek episode. She knows that, I, that I'm that i hooked on it, and she's seen me watch it on numerous occasions, but she's never been so inclined to sit down and watch it with me. Uh, and yet she walked out, and she enjoyed it, and she said she was very happy that they made it in a way that you didn't have to see the previous stuff in order to enjoy this. And I wouldn't be sure about that if I didn't have the experience of having somebody with me who had never seen them. Because it does seem like you, you would need to know a little bit about the interpersonal relationships, but apparently not. Well, I mean, they almost announce it right at the beginning of the movie <clears throat> with um, the captain's log where Kirk's like, hey, things have been getting really episodic around here. And I heard that and I'm like, good. <laughs> good. That's what I want to hear. And and I think a lot of the criticism, I, I, I just want to slough off a lot of the criticisms of this movie because it's almost like, I'm so happy that they've addressed some of the problems of the first two movies in it that I don't want to discourage them. I want to be like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it has the same villain that's been in all three. All three new Trek movies are a sort of li lizardy, messed up face looking guy who's bent on revenge. And and that's about it. You know, that's you saying that about Benedict Cumberbatch. He's lizardy faced. Well, yeah, not well, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of mushing, and I'm mushing Nemesis in there too, because it goes. I mean, that's where I'm talking about. Like a lot of the problems of this one were problems in other Trek movies too. Like a, a not really. Star Trek sometimes needs just a situation that needs to be gotten out of. It doesn't need like a villain to focus on like they like they think it does it makes it easier to write a movie when you have a bad guy that's a bad guy and he and his goal is to kill all the good guys and 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 all that it makes it easier to write a movie and a plot around but some i mean star trek 4 is is a perfect example of that there was technically a bad guy whereas 
the alien satellite thing was going to kill the Earth, but it was just there to set up a situation that they had to, to solve. So, you know, moving forward, I'm, I'm hoping that they, they realize that and they could have a, a, a story similar to that, you know. Well, or even like, you know. Since, uh, every movie since First Contact. First Contact was the last one where they didn't do it. But every movie after that, I think they've been chasing Khan. They've been trying right, to get right. the, the obsessed villain who has got the grudge and is going after them. And, you know, they've done it with, with varying levels of success or lack thereof. So this one clearly had, had a Khan feel to the villain. You know, the same, he, he was abandoned on this planet. He felt that the, the Federation didn't care about him. Blah, 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 blah. Admiral Kirk, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I mean, I thought this one succeeded to some extent. It certainly, it certainly, he succeeded as a villain better than Khan did in the last one. So, yes. chasing Khan, you know, I mean, they, real, they really, really tried to do it in Nemesis. Uh, then they, they went back for it in, in even in Star Trek uh, 2009. So it's, it's been one of the things that's gone on in these movies. And I well, the, think they the, need to try and distance themselves from that a little bit. But I didn't think it hurt this movie particularly. No, it, it, it's almost, you know, it's almost like the, they had to do that, you know, sort of in the formula of New Trek. And I'm, I'm guessing a lot of what I like is probably due to Simon Pegg, I'm guessing. You know, a lot of the, the, the feel mm-hmm. to it and the, the, the written stuff in it. But, you know, I'm hoping they feel empowered after this. I, I'm hoping this one makes some money and gets, you know, some some good feedback. So going forward, they go, okay, maybe we can get even, you know, a little more cerebral with it. They don't have to get a lot, you know, I don't, I, I, I would demand more cerebralness, which is an, which is a dumb word that I just made up out of a, <laughs> out of a TV show, you know, where you, you're doing a weekly show or something in the movies, you just need a touch of it. And if you can get some real depth, like in, in con, that's, that's great, but it's, it's, it's a movie. It's not. You, you you just can't get as much resonance in a movie because you don't have whole seasons of of characterization and build up and 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 world building and stuff like that. So I'm I'm happy with this this level of it. If if they just continue in this, I was actually you know just so happy when they went to the star base and instead of just parking in the star base. And if this would been a J.J. Abrams joint. They would have parked in that starbase and wouldn't waste it a second before going into the plot. This one lingers on long shot. It reminded me of Tomorrowland. Long shots of how awesome the the star that starbase was and how cool it was and how it functions. You could you know that you saw people like oh I'm just beaming from one spot to another and oh look at how gravity works. Oh there's city you know it was that is one of the things that Star Trek's supposed to do present a really awesome inspiring vision of the future i want to live on that star base it's more like a star city now and uh it reminded me of a gerard the 70s guy gerard k o'neill's space stations that he was designing and stuff like that that's what star trek's supposed to have it's supposed to have that future that you want to live in and that's something that they have not focused on in new trek until this one as a matter of fact they made the world seem kind of like a little bleaker extension of our world which is not what i want to see in star trek i want to see that they've got they've definitely made some human progress and 
this one went a long way towards that. I mean, at the end, when the, the montage of the uh, Enterprise A being built, I was actually, like, getting a little moist in the corners of my eyes. <laughs> I was getting a little moist in the corners of my eyes with the picture of the old crew. Yeah, that's yeah. an interesting moment. I, I had that in my notes to bring that up. I could have hated that moment. Uh, that could have been that could have been done really horribly, but it actually worked because it 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 really ha there was a real reason for the second Spock to be looking at that and thinking about it, and you know, looking at the people that he's with and they're young now and seeing them together, old. You know, that was a really it was a really nice moment. I think they they. That there, there were two moments that could have really like taken you out of the movie, and that was one of them. And Gay Sulu was the other one, and the and Gay Sulu was handled perfectly. What you know, it gave Kirk a moment to muse about like what it would be like to have you know maybe what you know I could have a family or something you know or and and that was it. You know, there was not a story element. They just sort of let it let it just sort of happen in front of you, and there there you go, and, yeah. and it was done. It was it was handled well that thing became a little bit of a controversy because uh you know because 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 the internet really but i think it was handled pretty well you know people lobby for you know they they want multifaceted characters they wanted to reflect the different angles of society i thought this was handled pretty well you know they they just they showed it from the perspective of not i or i didn't think they showed it from the perspective of hey look sulu's gay I think they showed it from the perspective of, hey, look, Sulu has a family, and when he's not has a family, shit, right? He's he's, he's uh. got other things to care about, and he's been away for three years on this mission. So I thought it was handled very, very. I don't know that I want to use the word elegantly because I think that may be overstating it, but I thought it was handled a little bit more subtly than what it seems like some people want. Well, and I think this was better than what people want. I, I was afraid just because of Into Darkness that they would just do it in a showboaty sort of way and the, with the way they were, the way they sort of leak the publicity of it and get some controversy going, it's just like, oh, geez, you know, why introduce this just for controversy? And I was in a couple threads and I remember I was sort of defending Takai saying, hey, you know, I understand his point of view. He played the character, you know, and it's just kind of weird from his point of view for for the people in the movie to say, oh, the actor who played the character is gay. Let's make the character gay out of tribute to him and for him to go like, hey, wait a minute. You know, maybe that's not the best way to pay tribute to me, you know, to whatever. You know, he was basically saying, you know, my gayness has nothing to do with the Sulu character. It has to do with me. And, you know, and and the and, you know, I want good writing or whatever. And somebody was saying, hey, you know, you know, if, if you want to show more female or, or, you know, people of other ethnicities, that's easy to do because you don't have to explain anything because you can just see it. You can't just see that someone's gay. And I'm like, well, you know, you could see a picture of their their spouse on their desk or you or you could just see that they're married to somebody of the same sex and that explains it all or it's star trek so everybody hooks up eventually so you'll, you'll find out that way it doesn't have to be like this you know and there were rumors that he was going to be coming out of the closet which would have been absurd in star trek world and i was and i remember just saying yeah he could just be married or he could just have a picture and they used both of those <laughs> in the movie and i was just like ah oh, yes good they went for the they went for actual subtle writing, you know, instead of bashing you over the head with it, which I was afraid of because of Into Darkness. So it, it was th those were two potentially derailing moments that ended up working for, yeah, the, for the whole thing. 
just to go on to the the, the photo, uh, I think that was also handled in a subtle manner. And, and as you said, I think that's one of the things that this franchise in the three movies has maybe lacked a little bit of subtlety. Yeah. So I think especially this one, when referencing this one played with that a little. I'm sorry. Especially when referencing, you know, the the source material. Yes, absolutely. But, but I I liked, you know, we we knew to talk about it just to take it back a little bit. We did have a little bit of Wrath of Khan type storyline in the fact that Kirk was going through I, I'm hesitant to say midlife crisis because he's too young to be having a midlife crisis, but he was going through a crisis of his life, you know, the direction his life was going in, what should I be doing, which is similar to what was going on in The Wrath of Khan. And then they expanded a little bit by having Spock have a similar crisis going on. And with regard to Spock's crisis, I thought that photo went a long way towards subtly showing how he's considering the life he has now as opposed to the life he's considering moving into and that he's got that conflict and that that photo is showing him what the best of times could be. And ultimately that swayed him that that camaraderie is something that he really wants. I mean, this, this Spock is clearly much more emotional than our Leonard Nimoy Spock was. Uh-huh. There's no question about it. I mean, especially when he bursts into laughter and uh, when he's with McCoy, that so, could not have worked. That might not have worked either, and that worked really well. As a matter of fact, seeing him smile reminded me of the times when Nimoy would would crack the rare smile, and it was it, it worked really well. Yeah, I love the Bones Spock stuff that that they finally got around to that. It's that's something they really felt like. <clears throat> excuse me, I really felt like they neglected in the first two movies, really, other than a few uh, you know quick exchanges here and there. But you finally got the 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 Spock bones dynamic in this one. And, uh, that, that, that's another thing that just made it feel more, more Trek. Um, and speaking of more Trek, you know, Sulu had a daughter, you know, generations. So, yes. you know, <laughs> nice tie in there. I, I thought the, you know, in, in the prior two movies, as opposed to the Kirk Spock bones dynamic, they went more with a Kirk Spock Uhura dynamic. Yes. And in this one, you know, they gave Uhura her moments, and, and that's one of the things about the movie that I have on the plus, plus side is I think they gave every member of the main cast some good moments. Nobody seemed to be neglected. But they moved, they elevated Bones up to that, that you know, that, that holy trio level, which he had not been in the first two movies. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And Carl Urban is up to it. He's way up to it. So, yeah, I, I love that they put the cast front and center in this movie because the cast has been just dying to do what they were doing in this movie, you know. And Chris Pine is is getting more Shatner-like every movie. Well, they, they did yeah. it. Clearly, they did his hair a little different to make him more original series Kirk-like. Oh, yeah, there's scenes where when he walks into a scene sometimes, it's almost like, Shat, you know, your eyes take a couple seconds to adjust it into Chris Pine from Shatner. It's awesome. <laughs> He's getting a little <laughs> of the body language. Sulu, when Sulu took the con, oh, my God, he took the, uh, like, one one leg stuck out and, and one elbow on the knee and ready to go. It was awesome. Yeah, I thought they did great with the the cast and utilizing some of these characters and players in, in ways that we haven't seen in the last two movies that really have been Kirk and Spock centric and with a lot of Uhura. This time, Uhura and Sulu got their moments, but they were also captured for a good portion of the story. But we got to see that the Bones and Spock material was great. I loved every scene that they had together. You guys are right. Um, I like seeing Kirk palling around with Chekhov and uh, 
of mm. course, you know, it. I, I, I couldn't escape the moment. I was like, oh my gosh, this kid just died. He was only 27 years old. But it's great to, that he, he has this sort of as his legacy because there were some great moments with him throughout this movie. Scotty had plenty to do and uh, that might have helped because of the fact that he wrote it. So he might have been writing his own material. And like, you know, they didn't give me a whole lot to do the last time. But uh, yeah, the character, like, that's what I said. That's what I loved about this. All the little character vignettes, all these little moments with them interacting and playing off each other in ways that we haven't seen in a long time. Those were great. Just thinking about yeah, the photo again. Scotty's the only one in the photo who you can't see him turning into that when he gets to be that age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody else in the Good. cast, you could see them becoming the people in those in that photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think those space cheeseburgers, you know. The five guys alien version. <laughs> Get that sack of fries, you know. You just can't. <laughs> you know, I, I think to this point we've we've talked about a lot of the positives, and there's some more to talk about, and I, I don't want to killed the conversation on that at all, so we could come back to a little bit of that. But I'm a little bit interested in trying to be a little even-handed here and talk about some of the negatives. And Ryan, you you mentioned the two that I thought most were clearly to me after I saw it. And sometimes when I see a movie that I really enjoy, it's a little hard to find the negatives until I have more time to think it over. Uh, in this instance, while the movie was on, one of the problems I had, and it was with the direction, which you said you didn't have a problem with the direction, but you still mentioned uh, some of the action scenes were a little hard to follow, and I put that squarely on the direction. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought there were a lot of, during the action scenes, a lot of quick cuts and a lot of close-up shots without establishing shots, and I thought it made a little bit, it, it a little bit difficult to understand where people were, what they were doing, who they were fighting, who you're even showing us at times. Mm-hmm. And it was it was my primary criticism of the chase scenes in the movie Quantum of Solace, if, if you yeah. follow those. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. And, and that was one of the biggest problems I had with this movie, was the action, some of the action sequences, just the cuts were a little too fast and furious. No, <laughs> no pun intended. Sure. <laughs> but I, I wonder, you know, what, what the three of you took off the direction in the movie. I, I agree. I agree. I think there was a, a lot of the action sequences, even the space battle sequences, were just were, were were hard to follow. It was hard to figure out what was going on exactly all the time, and that's like that's just a common problem with the. Uh, I I think a lot of people started doing it as a new flashy style, and then they also discovered that it's a lot cheaper than. <laughs> totally setting up the shot and planning it out. You can just sort of have the people do whatever they're doing and just film it from a couple different angles and wiggle the camera around. And once that got established as being a thing, after a few movies, people got used to it. Some people might even like it, I guess. I don't know. I haven't really run into anybody who's a fan of shaky cam action. But yeah, I, I was just happy that there wasn't more of it from that director. That was one of my main, and after the first trailer of this, and I was pretty much assuming it was going to be a a whole shaky cam action. Um, you know, I, I was a little, I was not too happy that they threw a a motorcycle in there. I wish it was a space motorcycle of some sort that hovered over the ground or something, but they had to, had to put it. It's like the dune buggies in 
Was that Nemesis that yes, had the that's, dude puggies? That's what it brought to mind, but I thought they did it better than Nemesis. Yes, it, it was better. Uh, uh, and it, a, it, a motorcycle it cooler uh, than a dune buggy. It did and have it, its modern uh, touch where he was able to, to spread that whatever material that it was came like, It was like a, a Tron light cycle goo yeah. sort of thing going on with it. Yeah, that was kind of cool. But I... Um, I'm not sure how the transporters work, where they can sort of transport him into three or four different places at once, too. That was sort of going on with that. I wasn't sure. Well, I don't think that was a transporter. I think that was kind of a light thing that played with light that made it look like he was in three places. Oh, so that he would be able to, yeah. To Jayla had that, she, she had that kind of technology, that, like a holographic technology that seemed to clone her at times. And that's what she was using for the motorcycle. Oh, you see, that's ship. another thing. I thought she was sort of transporting around. You see, that I thought she had something that was just transporting her from one spot to another. Think, uh, think Total Recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this Quaid? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, one thing, the one thing about the motorcycle scene, um, my wife rides a motorcycle, and every time we see a movie with a motorcycle, she will get taken out of the movie so fast if the actor or the character isn't wearing eye protection of some kind. Well, she, he had his goggles. He did, and she was like, she like pinched my arm. She's like, see, that's how you do it, because <laughs> she loves the Captain America movies, but she's like, I don't care if he is a super soldier. If he gets a mosquito at his eye going at 60 miles an hour, he's going he's gonna to dump it and just fall off the bike, so... That's, yeah. that's, you know, that's a point as, as a non-motorcycle rider, I never would have even thought of that. But that's, that's very true. That, I mean, clearly, if you, anybody who's even gotten a, a dust mite in their eye <laughs> or whatever, you know, like the slightest thing, it's, it, it, you know, it's very, uh, yeah. very, very disabling. Around. So yeah. if you're riding 60 miles an hour on a bike or as Kurt was doing, gravel. probably 80 yeah. miles an hour. Yeah, through a gravel pit in the, in the mountains. So, yeah, he definitely needed something. Mm-hmm. With shrapnel flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. I would think. I would think just doing what he did, you'd probably have all sorts of pock marks and scrapes on your arms and legs just from the flying gravel. So yeah. to leave your your eyes unprotected would be crazy. And I also have to say another thing that could have been a big problem that I've hated with the other two movies, and they even pr- said they were going to do with this one in the first trailer is Beastie Boys. They avoided the Beastie Boys and put in Public Enemy instead. I love Public Enemy, but I do hate modern pop music in future, you know. Why aren't they listening to something from 2150 or some, you know, something like that? You know, they're listen- why, why does it have to be something the audience is familiar with? But I liked, I liked that they actually addressed it, and she said, well, I like the beat and the yelling. And I was just like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, well, even like the throw was a good line. Is classical music? Yes, it is. <laughs> but um i'm I'm trying to the the writing is always seems to be that it it was just they got the characters right and then the action was cheaped out on so it was sort of the inverse of the other two movies where the the gloss and the sheen were there but they they cheaped out on the the characters so i'm hoping next time maybe they they now that they've got the characters and the character beats right, now maybe they can uh, hire maybe, you know, some version of Nicholas Meyer. I think Nicholas Meyer is actually still alive. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he is. You know, He's supposed to be I, working on the new TV show. On the TV series. show, yeah. So, you yeah. know, hi, hi, hire someone who's a really good writer <laughs> for the <laughs> next one. And, man, you could have a – it could be, you know, it could be over the top. I think – I'm hoping this one makes more money than – than into darkness because that's the language that's spoken 
that says make more of this. Well, let's, and let's I, and I hope that for a second. I'm sorry, Chris. Finish your thought. I hope they. I hope that that they also, if it makes a lot of money, that they interpret the that that they that they see that it's the differences that have made that more money instead of interpreting like, oh, we need more motorcycles. This one had a motorcycle in it. Let's put five <laughs> motorcycles in the next one. <laughs> the whole crew riding motorcycles. Exactly. <laughs> They're a motorcycle gang on an alien planet. You know. So <laughs> that's out of out of. Uh... 1970s Jack Kirby, uh, Jimmy Olsen. But, uh, yeah. Anybody who gets that reference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, what what do you does anybody know what the uh, budget was on this movie? It's like a hundred and eighty thousand or hundred eighty thousand. Oh, that would be five. <laughs> that was that was lunch on the million. first day. Yeah. million. Okay. So you you were pretty close to it because I know you meant to say million, not thousand. Uh, and the estimate for the weekend gross is, I guess domestically, obviously, is $60 million. Now, I'm not sure how that translates to a hit because you're supposed to make, what is it, two and a half times your budget? Isn't that for, the formula? Like, in, the total, first, total in the first the week, end. though? No, but, but in, to be a hit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that the formula? They say two and a half times the budget to be a hit? Usually, I mean, it, a lot of it will depend on their distribution rights, especially when it goes overseas, because some movies will have different distribution deals on the international market, because movies do not take 100% of the box office revenue. That gets divvied up to, the, like, you know, the theaters take a big chunk of that, and when it goes overseas, movies make even less of the box office take. So something about that, between two and three times the budget, so like you said, two and a half is, is usually a safe bet to say the movie was successful now if, if we factor in the foreign gross i'm sure this is going to be two and a half times by the time it's done if it's 60 million in the first yeah. weekend yeah. and don't, hand, they, don't forget like you said that that's they take different amounts from that so that formula doesn't necessarily correspond and don't forget this just in terms of domestic this is a rough weekend to open with you know, Comic-Con coming up this weekend with, uh, or Comic-Con, it just happened this past weekend. Uh, and then, you know, other things in the political sphere. There were a lot of distractions this week for the movie to open up. You would, you would think, well, you know, only a certain amount of the population can go to Comic-Con anyway. Mm -hmm. And you would think, uh, but all, the political stuff, it drives me to the movies even more. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. The worst things get, like... As far as dealing with society goes, usually that's theoretically supposed to make people want to go to the movies more, you know. World War II was a high point of genre <laughs> filmmaking and escapist filmmaking, sure. so. Good point. Well, the other negative, just to, not to, be, not to mm -hmm. sit on the negatives too much, but the other negative I had for the movie, and Brian, again, you mentioned this, was there were a lot of scenes that seemed unnecessarily dark. And again, that's not in tone, that's in actual viewing. Now, I did end up seeing this in 3D, which always gives it a shade darker than you'd like to begin mm -hmm. with. Uh, I, I, I can't seem to avoid the 3D. It's not. It's never something I seek out, but they don't seem to show it as much in 2D with these blockbusters. So when there's showing... The did it really, how was the 3D? Did it add to it, or was it just sort of like the normal, it was just there? Yeah, you know what? I, I for me the 3D really never adds to it. Yeah, it's, I'm the same way for them unless they specifically shot it with 3D in mind. It there's, there's two doesn't... ways the 3D can be effective. Is one, you know, you have the the joking around. Hey, look, I'm coming at you with this thing. I'm gonna try and scare you, which is so distracting that it's annoying. 
Right. Or it can be much more subtle, and I'll use Avatar as the uh, example of that since that was the movie that popularized the current 3D process, where it's meant to just give depth to the scenes and you know give background and just make it look more realistic. And that doesn't add enough to it to make up for the fact that I got to wear these uncomfortable glasses through the whole movie, and the movie's going to look darker. Yep, I agree. So I would rather see virtually everything in 2D. But as I said, with most of these movies now, the, you know, I, I find the showing that's convenient for me and whoever I'm going with to see it. And if it's in 3D, that's what I see. And there's just more showings in 3D. So that seems to be what I've seen most of my movies in lately. But I, I do feel unless they have a way of lightening it up a little bit, it's going to hurt it some in the video transfer to home video. Mm-hmm. I think it hurts it somewhat now because there were scenes where, where I was watching it and it was hard to follow the actors as they were walking through whatever they were walking Into through. the shadows and stuff. Was, yeah, I agree. In particular, when Kirk and uh, Chekhov went back to the wrecked Enterprise when they've got their you know, the hostage girl slash traitor in waiting when they go back and they're like diving around. I was like, I have no idea what part of the ship they're in. Like I, I kind of lost what like the space and the sort of geography of the internal parts of the ship at that point. And and you could have gotten away with that by just having a few nightlights around on the ship Mm -hmm. when they went on to it, you know, and they engaged some power The you know, some sort of like little hallway lights could have gone on. That, that, you know, they, that you could have easily explained it being slightly brighter, or you could have just had it be slightly brighter and not said anything. Right. Right. Yeah. I think I didn't really notice. I didn't really notice the darkness so much, but part of that was because Cindy and I were like, "Oh, we, we we got oh. We, no no <laughs> no no." Uh, uh, <laughs> but when we got to the theater, we were like, you know, there were like two seats over in the corner, you know, so we were like kind of looking like in the second row back so we we're kind of looking at an angle at the screen so some of the frenetic stuff i couldn't tell if it was like the way it was filmed or it was partially the angle we were at and uh which i kind of assumed it was like like chris said that's just the way they think they have to make movies nowadays that that oh it's action so it's got to be frenetic and so you can't follow it you know uh but the darkness part i did get a little bit of not not i don't think i'd have noticed it as much as you guys did uh and later on when they're on um when 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 crawl you know, crashes into the when the Franklin comes up out of the water and it, his ship crashes into it, and and they're looking for him on the ship. It was dark. I thought they were maybe even going to go for like a an alien vibe there for a minute. You know, I didn't. I thought I was he going to be like in the you know up in the duct work and grab him or something. I, you know, I thought maybe they were going to go there. So, but yeah, I, I, it didn't jump out at me. But I need to see it again from like a more straight on viewing so I can see if those see if those problems jumped out at me as much as you guys did. Yeah, that, that's something, like I said, they might even be able to, in video transfer, just lighten it up slightly, and I think that would help a lot. That's that's the other thing when we were talking about budget, too, is I'm not sure how they factor in home video releases into that as well. Or, you know, I, I think they consider it a totally different ledger, and any money they make on the home video is unrelated to whether or not they want to declare the film a financial success. But we have seen instances where movies didn't do that well in the movies, theaters, but then when they came out on home video, they became such a cult hit that the studios realized, hey, we can do a sequel to this now. That's mm-hmm. just, just another thought on this one is I think there are a fair number of people uh, who, who had a bad enough taste in their mouths following Into Darkness. And, and I, you know, I'll, I'll again just do the mea culpa in that I did not dislike me Into Darkness the way other people did. I, 
I was on board with going to see this right away. I have no problem with that. But I do think there's a fair segment of the population that feels, well, I really didn't like what they did in Into Darkness and where they should have built on the success of the 2009 film. They did not. Therefore, I have a sour taste and I'm not going to pay my money to see this in the movie theater. Uh, I, I also don't think the marketing for this one was that good. I mean, I was going to see it just because I've bought into this world and the characters and everything. But the first trailer that they released, I thought, you know, they, they really played up the, uh, the, you know, the sabotage, the Beastie Boys song again. And just the motorcycle. It, it right. Was... And I, I felt like the market, they were trying to say, hey, it's not, you know, the the old, slow, cerebral Star Trek. We're going to make a movie that's more like Guardians of the Galaxy because we knew yeah. how much you loved that. And and even like the market, like I like they hardly like I would have done all and we'll get to this again. But I would have done so much more with Idris Elba because his star is really on the rise. You couldn't see him in any of the trailers. You could barely see him in this movie, in the movie itself. But so I felt like, I, yeah, I think part of it, what might be keeping some fans away isn't just into darkness, but they see this and they're like, this really doesn't look like the kind of Star Trek movie I want to see. Well, but I, I, and I, I just think that's bad marketing. It's, it's... I, I think there's a friction in their marketing department between um, between the Star Trek fans and the general population. Mm-hmm. And they know they got it. They know, you know, that. And and this they have marketed the last two movies like the general population saw no problem with Into Darkness at all. You know, I mean, there there's Star Trek fans who liked Into Darkness, but they can see where the 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 weird stuff happened that turned off other Star Trek fans. Whereas just a general audience watcher was just like, I don't see what the problem was, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that first trailer was aimed at the general audience. I think it was to tell them, hey, look, this is going to be filled with action and stuff. And they probably were like, yeah, maybe maybe it's better to piss off the Star Trek fans at first. And we'll put out because the second trailer was more Star Trekky and more like, OK, here's some story elements and more aimed towards the fans. But the first one, when I saw it, I was like, oh, they've been saying this. This one's going to be a lot more Star Trekky and a lot more like you know, exploring space and wonder sort of thing. And yet here's this with with the Beastie Boys cranked over it and the director from Fast and Furious. And I'm like, I yeah. And and I thought pretty much that this was where Star Trek was going to go into a more low budget, quickie sort of territory. And I was thinking, ah, that could swing both ways. It could be really it's probably going to be really terrible. But it could be charming and, you know, having the budget limitations or, you know, try new stuff. But it totally surprised me by being neither of those. But you would never have known through the marketing. The marketing was definitely making me say, I'm not going to give these guys any money. (laughs) See, I I agree with you. I think strategically that was an error. Uh, Yeah. And and exactly the way you described it, I think they should have reversed that. They should have first sought to mollify the hardcore fans yeah show he, them hey we're, we're gonna go back to what you like now you have once you have them on board even though that's the smaller percentage of the viewing audience that you're attempting to woo then you start showing the ones that are gonna just get the general populace to to want to see it because the general populace is going to be more by the seat of their pants anyway yeah they're just gonna get herded in right at the last minute you know we're if we see that trailer early on enough and we like it we're going to go or don't we're conversely don't like it. 
we're the ones who go on the internet and start talking about it and picking it apart. So you might as well give us something we like to pick apart at first and get some good publicity. Although these days, bad publicity is, you know, bad publicity in uh, any day, bad publicity and good publicity can meld together to where it, it, it sort of doesn't matter. And you can, if you don't have, if you have a movie that's not 100% up to par, uh, you might be able to get bumps in publicity just by the controversy of how crappy it is or or how crappy you are if you like it or don't like it, you know, or, or all that and get people fighting about it. And, and people will go to see it just to be up on the controversy. It's interesting to see how that strategy comes into play sometimes with these movies. Happens so, a lot now. I think, I think sometimes the studio heads can watch some of these movies and they realize, and I'm not... This is. I don't think this is the case for this one, so I don't want people to think that. But I think sometimes the studio heads will look at a movie and realize, oh shit, we have a piece of crap here. <laughs> and the whole marketing strategy will be geared towards what can we do to get the very, very most money in that opening weekend? Because once word of mouth comes out, this movie's not going to go anywhere. It's good tank. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely that's definitely a a concern. I mean, you see that. I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that goes on a lot. In Hollywood nowadays, and especially with these inflated budgets. I mean, these budgets are just... I mean, there was never a Star Trek movie made for that amount. I mean, I know even adjusting for inflation, I, I don't think there was a Star Trek movie in the original cast series that come close to a budget like that. You know, I mean, I know it wouldn't be $185 million, but I don't even think they got like $40 million back back in the day to make a Star Trek movie. I could be wrong, but uh, they always seem like they, you know, even though Star Trek made them a lot of money... They would pour a little bit. They got a little more of a budget after Star Trek II did so well, Wrath of Khan did so well. Star Trek III had a little more of a budget. But they still didn't bump it up to like, okay, you made this amount of money. Now you're getting this amount of money to make the next movie. They didn't. It wasn't equaled out. You know? Yeah, so, no, after Star Trek III, they started squeezing off the budget too. And I, I, I think it was the same with pretty much um, the, the um, Next Generation movies too, where they just kept giving them less and less they they were still making money, but they were just like, hey, how about you make some money with less budget? And right. I think maybe Nemesis might have been one where they pumped up the budget a little bit, and then and they made it, less money. It really did bat poorly for like it's. I guess that's maybe the poorest performing Star Trek movie ever, which is saying something if you had Star Trek Five in there. Yes, well, right, Star Trek right. Nemesis had a budget of sixty million. Yeah, so like a third of this one. Wow. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah. uh, well, Insurrection 58, I'm looking at them as, as we're talking about it. First Contact was 45, mm-hmm. which which is okay. uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture was actually, for its time, the big one, because that was, I think, 46 million. And then they went down to uh, Wrath of Khan, which was like 11 million. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, Wrath of Khan, you know, it's believed, and I think it's been confirmed, that that was originally planned to be a TV movie. Well, right. I, I I think having having that sometimes Star Trek is one of those rare beasts where having harsh limitations on it, especially budgetary limitations, seems to work out really well for it. You know, especially in the TV area because you have to rely more on story and ingenuity and using what you've got. So, another I, movie that does that was Jaws. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Always exactly. Really 
<laughs> but I, I think you know that's one of the problems that a lot of these studios make is they feel like okay we're going to have a big budget action movie and I'll let the director just kind of run with it and do it the way he sees fit and in certain cases that's a good decision because you have certain movie makers who can justify that faith but you also have these guys who just go out there and they go nuts with the budget and they stop worrying so much about the story because they're more concerned about putting their artistic vision on the screen and uh I think the studios need to concentrate on story first as a general rule. I think we'll forgive lapses in special effects if the story is solid. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Those will become... Star Trek if fans. the story is solid, it beca- lapses in special effects could be like kind of charming, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'll sit down and watch the Gorn actor all the time in that bad lizard costume. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, we're Star Trek fans. Of course, we'll take story over budget. You know, I mean, there's special effects, you know. But that's, what, Star that's Trek... what the studios have to realize, that, that if you, you know, have your action in there, you need to have your action in there in a big budget blockbuster, but make sure you have it on a firm base of a story. Mm-hmm. And then, you can, then you're going to get your blockbuster money. Here's, here's the thing, and this is part of the magic of Shatner. And, uh, you know, if you need action, you just had Shatner. Just get him another guy and they'll have a fist fight. And right. and and it'll be an exciting and fun fist fight because Shatner will make it ridiculous and and action packed. So you don't even really need big set pieces to to inject the action into Star Trek. You know, you, uh, a simple fist fight is good. And I and I liked that at the end of this, even though it sort of happens a lot. This reminded me of I I think it was Nemesis with Picard and and clone Picard, you know, in a tube sort of thing, kicking at each other, beating at each other in order to stop one of them from pushing buttons on a a button thing. A giant button that (laughs) says explode on it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But I I, I like that, you know, that that the conflict, uh, whereas I hated that it ended with a fist fight in Into Darkness because it was Spock. And it just didn't, that, but if, if it's Kirk punching somebody, yeah, it works. And and I like that sort of stuff. I like even some of the more motorcycle action more than a thousand, you know, the scenes of a thousand swarming ships crashing into each other and stuff like that. That stuff is neat, but these days, unless it's handled extremely well and in, insanely thought out, a lot of that stuff just turns into swimming CG for me. You know, yeah, and I can follow where it's going, but it never really feel has that real feel to it. So it's cool, but it's it's the it's the stuff that happens amongst the the living creatures that make it. And I, I like that they're continuing. Actually, one of the better parts from Into Darkness, into where maybe every movie is going to start out with a semi comical you know, encounter of Kirk with an alien civilization. Oh, and I love this one. I, I'm glad you, mm-hmm. I, I forgot to bring that up, and I'm glad you did. I loved, he, he fought the uh, the public library lions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, initially, when I first saw them, I was like, mm, I do not like this as a choice for the alien race that he's talking to. I was just like, that just, that doesn't feel right. But it, then the dream. The, until they turned out to be six inches tall. <laughs> exactly. The reveal. <laughs> once they jump on them and like they're the size of kittens. I'm like, okay, well played. Well done. <laughs> that made it work. And it was some nice sound design too. And when it hit, 
and you they have the close up of it and they even shake the camera a little when it hits the floor and it's like raw and then as you back off it turns more into like a it's like high pitched the, the, the biggest damage they did was to his shirt and, yeah. yeah exactly which is classic kirk too you rip my shirt again yes yeah but uh, well, another thing i want to closet and he opens the door and it's the same uniform over and over again right <laughs> Another thing I want to not forget to I almost forgot to mention is I really like the music in this one. There was some mm-hmm. some of the act more actiony music where they would be running around on the Enterprise had a very old old original Trek sound to it, feel to it. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Michael Giacchino, who's the the music uh, guy for these films, I thought he did a good job of taking the theme that he created for the first one, which I do like a lot. I like it too. And then kind Mm -hmm. of melding it with more of a classic uh, Trek feel. So I I, I thought it was really effective. And and I always say that the music is something you really shouldn't notice while you're watching the movie because it should be kind of complementing the scene instead of creating it. But just the same, I did notice it during the movie. But when I did notice it, I thought, wow, that's really good. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. I, I noticed it, but I liked it. It was it was adding to the the feel of and it might not be something the gen, general audience would notice again. But it's like I have I have like, you know, 20 episodes worth of um, the Alexander Courage soundtrack on my iPod, you know, so. Like when I'm sitting at work at, with it on shuffle and stuff, all of a sudden, you know, a little little bit of, you know, the enemy within will come on and stuff. So I'm listening, like just listening to that music constantly. So when I hear little bits that not necessarily, they're not even taken from the original Courage stuff, but just have that feel to it. And, and it's Kirk running around the bridge of the Enterprise. That's really cool. Could they get away with having a... Dun, 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 dun. Could they get away with that this year? With me, they could, <laughs> for sure. Or, or a variation on that, perhaps. I, yeah, I would. Yeah, I think they could. If don't don't give them any ideas, or they'll do in a mock time movie where they'll have the conflict between Ahura and T'Pring. <laughs> well, if it, yeah, exactly. If it was, if it was, if we were talking pre this movie, I would say absolutely not. I would say I would not put. Dun, 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 in the hands of in the darkness but after this yeah i think it, i think they could do it as long as they d- didn't just weren't ridiculous with it or if they were going to go ridiculous go really ridiculous but um oh my god the pond fire with this spock it's got to be yeah <laughs> just ridiculous i would i would like to see soup, soup everywhere <laughs> i would like to see new vulcan I'd mm-hmm. like to see yeah. what they're doing, how they're developing their culture. Maybe have some sort of a big conflict there. Not necessarily recreate a muck time. I don't want them to recreate any story that's already been told at this point. We've already we've yeah. already gone that route, and I don't want to do it again. But I wouldn't mind if they created something where maybe the Vulcans, because they're at a weak point in their existence, are being threatened in some way, and the Federation has to come to their rescue, and maybe they're a little hesitant to accept the Federation's help. Something along those lines. I think you could have the makings of a movie in that respect. Mm-hmm. Before, oh, go ahead. I don't know, I just said, mm-hmm. I just agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we talk about Krull and his plan just a little bit? Yeah, I, I did want to discuss Krull, and that's I, I was going to go there with it. The one thing I'm going to say before you get to why Krull was bad, the one thing I'm going to give you that I thought was good was that somehow he there was a feeling to me that on this planet he's created this... Uh, 
Colonel Kurtz in the Heart of Darkness feeling mm-hmm. about him. Mm-hmm. And I really liked mm-hmm. that. And yeah. I think Idris Elba did bring that out, although I didn't think that he was allowed to, because of the heavy makeup and because of some of the dialogue, I didn't think, I, I thought he, he had to bring it out with his acting as opposed to the way it was written. And now he didn't, you could attack didn't have a lot to work with, really. And I mean, he's a really good actor and he did a great job. Didn't have a lot to work with. So, you know, he could have been a memorable villain. There just there just wasn't much. There was just as much to him as there were the last couple villains. He's pissed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, go ahead, Chris. No, I was going to say the, the one thing about crawl that I will say is is I think and and it's it's a little maybe it's a little subtle or maybe maybe it's not subtle and maybe I'm just I'm dense, but I, I do think there was a little bit of, of PTSD there with him. Um, I felt like you know maybe that was maybe that was the tiny little bit of Star Trek social commentary that was in it. Uh, that he was a soldier without a war, you know, and he was left damaged by it, and then he was left abandoned. And uh, so I thought that was kind of a, you know, that's a that's in the news a lot, of course, and everything. And I thought yeah. that might have been, you know, that might have been a, that was a nice little angle to go with him. And, you know, that's obviously start with Star Trek, a lot of what Star Trek was about. It was, you know, and that's probably about as much as, you know, you're going to get out of these new Star Trek films that are more action-oriented. But I think they could have done a little bit more with that. And uh, But, you know, we didn't get that reveal about him until, like, the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but, uh, but, but I thought he was interesting in, in that respect. Well, well, what you just brought up reminds me, a lot of times, especially in Next Generation, you would have someone who is a villain, but by the end of the episode, you would have enough sympathy for them. And sometimes the Enterprise crew would even turn that person around. And they just barely flirted with it in this when Kirk was trying to reason with him. But I just got the feeling Kirk was just trying to, you know, reason with him a little bit so then he could kick him in the head rather than actually be (laughs) like, hey, you should come back to Starfleet. You know, we'll get you some therapy. You know, we'll get this, this stuff off out of your skin or whatever. And but that that they don't really go there anymore it's you know the villain's going to end up dying spectacularly at the end but you it would be more start to it going in a more star trekky way if if you actually build the the villain more so you have some sympathy with him even khan you had some sympathy with him because all his people basically got killed his wife got killed and mm-hmm. he got left to to rot by kirk he had a legitimate gripe and you could have some measure of sympathy for him if he wasn't just like a maniacal murderer on top of it. But you could at least have some understanding of him. And you can have an understanding of this guy on paper, but they just didn't give enough of it to where you really felt like a visceral like sympathy for, for this guy at all. I thought but some I, of the dialogue was a little clumsily written to try and give the theme of the movie, uh, the, the loner versus the team thing. Yes. And yeah, he, thought, he you know, comes his, his right dialogue out. in particular I thought was clumsy on that. Well, he comes right out with the Darth Vader line of like, you know, your unity is your weakness and not your strength. Or it's more it's more like the Emperor from Jedi sort of line, you know, where your friends are your weakness. <laughs> but, but Ryan, I know you had some real criticism of this and you've been kind of quiet, so I'd like to hear your take on it. Well, it's it's piggybacking a lot on what you guys have said. Um, I I really like Idris Elba. He is one of those actors right now that if I see his name attached to a project, I'm going to perk up a little bit and take interest in that. I'm going to want to see that. So I was excited when I heard he's going to be the villain in the new Star Trek. Awesome. 
And then, you know, just watching, I was like, I, I couldn't see him underneath the makeup. And like, you were right, like his dialogue was bad. It, it, it took until the last 10 minutes to explain who he is, where he comes from and what his motivation is. Like the entire, I was like, so I, I didn't feel like they gave him enough to do. And every time we cut to him, I'm like, why is this guy a threat to them? Like, why should I care about this? And when they did all this reveal of who he was, that he was a former commander who got stranded there. And what you were saying with the, the sort of a, a soldier without a war and, and the, the commentary that you can make on that, I felt like the movie just took too long to ask those questions and pose those ideas and I also didn't understand, like, why his body had mutated, why he looked like crazy lizard man, and then that started to go away when he drained the life forces out of people. Why was he doing that? How was he doing that? Like, and and I also just, I didn't like the bioweapon that he was using. I thought that was kind of lazy, and I didn't really like the visuals of mm-hmm. it when it was being used, so... It was just a combination, like, that I thought was the biggest problem with this movie, was I didn't care about the villain until way too late, and I didn't understand why he was doing anything. So, like, this goes back to my original statement about the movie, was I liked the idea, I liked the spirit, and I liked all of these character moments with the, the crew of the Enterprise, but the villain, and by extension, the plot, really felt lacking to me. Uh, and there was a lot they could have done to improve on that. I felt like maybe it just needed an, another rewrite. Maybe that's maybe that's a fault of editing. I don't know. I, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying there. And as you're saying it, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking this aloud. So maybe this does or does not make sense. But you know, as I said, I, I thought he had a little bit of a, a Colonel Kurtz Heart of Darkness feel about him. And I think the plot might have been really, really interesting or made better if. The Federation was aware of him being in this nebula, and there mm-hmm. was, and Kirk was sent on this mission to rescue him, almost with a, you know, an apocalypse now kind of thought, and they didn't realize the threat was there. So you could have gone with the whole story basically the same way from that point forward, except his motivation would have been much clearer right from the start. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that might have improved it. I, I, I hadn't really thought of that until you were just talking about it, and and now that you say that, I think that could have improved him as a villain. Yeah, they. I mean, you could have done. It might have been more dramatic and more shocking at the end to find out that you know maybe you're right. Like this whole time they went there looking for the Franklin. They went there trying to rescue Commander Edison or Captain Edison, whoever. And at the end, they find out that holy shit, Crawl is Edison. That could have been shocking. That could have been development if we knew who the character was or that we had a reason to invest in him beforehand. But like I said. Like it's after the it's after the Franklin has crashed when they go through and they find like the original ship's log. At that point, there's like seven minutes left in the movie. I'm like this is way <laughs> too long to explain who your bad guy is and why he's doing these things. See, it would have been very Star Trekky if they if they captured him and brought him back sympathetically and were like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you the help that you need. You know, even though he he trashed the Enterprise. And so many, and a bunch of other ships, and caused so much misery. You know, we're so, we know that it was because basically of space PTSD, SPTSD. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, we have ways of treating that and blah, 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 and rehabilitating you and stuff. That would have been very Star Trek y. And, 
and brought him to a point of of sympathy where he no longer wanted to destroy everything or 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 something like that but i think they're just stuck in that formula of 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 a tentpole movie needs a big boss battle at the end exactly and for some reason revenge seems to be like a, a big theme that they seem to want to address in star trek movies in the last three everybody's had some sort of you know beef with the with the federation and and stuff like that so, but and uh, i think that i think also the with these three movies i think they did it best with nero in the first one i think they've been diminishing since then yeah yeah because it's 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 repetitive it's mm-hmm. it's just sort of like oh okay this person has gone insane because of something you know of it's it, it's just been exaggerated versions of the con story you know something mm-hmm. something the rebellion the, the, or the rebellion the, the federation <laughs> did that, that pissed him off. Here, here he feels he feels that they didn't. You know, they they just forgot about him or whatever. Which is sort of where a bit of where Khan's grudge came from. But it's I almost I'm almost happy that I'm talking about these these problems and they were problems with the other two movies. But now I feel like I'm talking about the problems in the context of a real Star Trek movie. And you know. Like, like, um, I, I feel like when I would talk about the first couple next generation after seeing the first couple next generation movies where it's like, yeah, I wasn't a hundred percent sold on them, but, um, they reminded me a lot of solid episodes of a TV show, you know, which is sort of, it's even more than good enough for me, you know, to, to, since I'm not getting any new Star Trek TV shows, if I get the equivalent of a, a two parter every two years i'll take it you know i'd 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 rather have that than even some big epic i don't need big epic things i want to just see a good solid star trek story doesn't have to the universe does only needs to get saved every once in a while (laughs) i don't mind i don't mind seeing you know i don't mind the story being about saving a village full of idiots you know on some planet that's that's enough for me, you know, and watching Kirk and his crew invest their entire effort on just saving a few people or, or what or whatever or straightening out uh, something. I don't know if that'll ever sell to the masses. So I don't know if we'll ever get that in the movies, but make it on TV soon. Yeah, well, we're going to have the new series to look at uh, before we wrap this thing up and start giving our final Jaws analysis. Uh, anybody have any other points that we may have missed on anything else that stood out to you that you'd like to mention um i would like to point out something cindy pointed this out more than to me i kind of picked it up but she it really hit her hard when uh the scene in the early in the movie when when kirk and and bones are sharing a drink and and bones says he got it out of Chekhov's a locker and he pours it and it's it's they pour another drink for for kirk's dad really mm-hmm. but it was really really strange that it come from Chekhov's locker and they're, you know, you're drinking to somebody who's not there. And it's just like, you haven't even seen Chekhov in the movie yet. And it's just like, oh man, that just really like kicked me right in the, right in the feels. I mean, it just, you know, it was like, oh, and it really got to her too. So it was like, man. And then, and then he shows up. And I mean, it was just, every, I'm so glad they gave him and everybody, like we said, a lot to do. Like Ryan said, this is a good legacy piece for him. It's probably his best showing in, in the film so far. And uh, but yeah, that one just really you know jumped out at me. And obviously, it was not it was filmed long long before his his passing. So 
but it was just it was just one of those strange eerie moments that just jumped out at me. Yeah, I wonder what, how they're gonna for his family that they have this as a legacy at least. I wonder how they're gonna address Chekhov in future movies. I wonder. J.J. Abrams said they're not recasting him, so they're not so gonna they're... replace him with a new actor. So they're either gonna they're gonna find a way to write him out. They're gonna explain his absence. He's either story. gonna be dead or just like on another ship somewhere. Okay. Like I, I would have that he left to become first officer on the Reliant. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's an appropriate storyline. You know, you never have to make mention of it again, but. Uh... Yeah, you could just have somebody say, you know, it, it's not the same without Chekhov here. Ever since he took that promotion to the first officer on the Reliance, and and you could just leave it at that. More evidence that we should be writing the next Star Trek movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, if if anybody if anybody in charge listens to this and they think uh, they'd like us to come aboard, I, we are available. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Why would they want to do that when we just sit here and give it away for free all the time? <laughs> That's true. Why buy the cat? <laughs> Exactly. I was uh, that I was when I worked at a bar. There was this one guy who was this obnoxious local musician, but he's he's a, was talented. He's been around for like thirty years, and he was selling some sh- charity show to my boss. And he's like, "I'll do anything. I'd go, you know, buck ass naked on stage to help this charity." And I'm just standing in the doorway laughing. And he actually like pulls down his pants halfway with his butt crack hanging out. He's like, would you pay to see this? Would you pay to see this? And I'm like, uh, not now that I've just seen it for free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So we just said we, we, we've I mean, I'm I'm going to firmly believe that they've been just been listening to all these two true freak shows. And that's the reason we have this movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I would love to think that we have that kind of influence over things. But, uh, we need to do, we need to try some really specific and bizarre things and see if it shows up. It'd be Something great if you had as a can can dancer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. The next one, the entire crew is gay, except <laughs> for Sulu. <laughs> they they pass through a ne- a pink nebula that may a rainbow nebula that makes them all gay. Yeah, I'm thinking they're not going to pick up on that one. Yeah, well, if they well, do... Although somebody on the internet will hear it and think that's the greatest idea, and you'll see uh, yeah, a, well, if some they sort do, of meme soon. Hashtag give Kirk a boyfriend. And and if they do do that, <laughs> then half the internet, then we'll be in that position where half the internet wants to kill us and the other half wants to put us up on chairs and carry us around the city. Well, that means we're doing something right. I guess. <laughs> so I think we've hit the point in the show where we're going to give this the Jaws rating. And give just our to job. remind you guys again, Jaws... Great movie, classic, all-time great. Uh, you know, it, basically, you can describe it as great. Let's leave it at that. Jaws 2, solid movie, very enjoyable. Will stand up to rewatchings, but not quite great. Jaws 3, watchable. I could take it or leave it. Not so bad, not so great. Jaws 4, piece of crap. And we'll start with you, Mr. Honeywell. I'd I'd like to put it. Uh, I'd like to. I I I'm not going to. But I would. I would. Pre- like to cheat and put it between two and three because I have a feeling that that like I just saw it yesterday so maybe I might it might diminish a little on further further viewings I'll be able to poke more holes but right now even between two and three it's leaning more towards two so I'm giving it a Jaws two. All right, Ryan. Jaws five: The Legend of Quint Jr. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say I would say Jaws too, and I'm I'm right there with Chris. I'm 
if I could cheat, it would be somewhere between two and three. But having seen it almost four days ago, now, well, three days ago now, uh, with some distance, I was a little bit more meh coming out of the theater at the time. But just with a few days' time I'm and talking to you guys, I'm remembering more things about it that I did enjoy. So I definitely think this mm. will hold up to lots of repeated viewings. And, and I want to see it again at some point. So, yeah, I would, I would be confident in saying Jaws 2. Chris? Uh, this is a strong Jaws 2 for me, so um, it's super solid for me, which super solid's always good, you know, uh, but so I'm, I'm definitely toward, I mean, if, if we were ranking it right now in amongst the, all three of the Star Trek films the, from this, the, the Kelvin timeline, as they call it, um, I would say this was, uh, this was Jaws, uh, 09's Jaws 2, and then, you know, Into Darkness would be Jaws 3, but as it stands in your scale, this is a very firm Jaws too. Yeah, I I have to give it the qualification that Chris Honeywell did that I only saw last night. And sometimes over time you change your opinions. And Ryan, I think, is a clear example of that because he's actually thinking more highly of it now than he did four days ago. Uh, and that happens to me on movies all the time. You know, over time I, I like it more, I like it less. You know, the more thought I give to it. Because what I do is I try to immerse myself into the movie when I'm watching it. I try not to play the movie critic while I'm watching it. So it's, you know, as you give it more thought, sometimes your opinions change. As I stand right now, I say firmly a Jaws 2. Not a, no question about it in my mind. Over time, maybe I'm going to think more, maybe I'm going to think less. I don't think it's ever going to reach the Jaws level, but I think, it, you know, it may cement itself as Jaws 2 or it may drop slightly. I don't think it's ever going to drop as far as Jaws 3 for me. So, so Paul, just for, just for sort of context and giving us an idea... Are any of the previous Star Trek movies at the Jaws level? Well, we haven't done any on the show yet. So you don't want to spoil So I don't want to spoil too much, but I think my opinion is pretty well known that for me, Wrath of Khan would be Jaws. Okay. That would be the only one that hits that. I might have a couple Jaws in in the the original movies or in in the entire scope of the movies. There's, there's other ones that would come close to it. You know, you, you talked about being between the two. There's some that would probably be between Jaws and Jaws 2 for me. But the only one that I think in my own personal ranking would go to the level that I would need for it to be Jaws would be Wrath of Khan. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I figured. And I guess with that, we're going to wrap up the show. I want to thank you guys for inadvertently being on the first episode ever of Visit Jaws. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. So uh, It's a high bar to clear now. Why don't yep. we take, take a minute and have each of you just pimp whatever shows you're on. We'll start with Chris Honeywell. I'm on, uh, well, my my most personal show is Garage Sale Gloat on the twotruefreaks.com network. But uh, I'm on a bunch of them. I'm on the Walking Dead Wednesday, doing the Vault of Starland Monster Horror Tales of Terror with Luke Giaconetti boys and Chris uh, and Jason Giaconetti, Chris Tyler. And I'm doing J Guys and Jedi Weekly uh, Clone Wars podcast with Hope Mullinex. And then there's the Two True Freaks Network, which is just clogged full of about 35, 40 podcasts, something like that. Of which this is one. Of the, which this is the newest one. I feel so fresh and new. I know. You're, we're just toddling around. We're so proud of you. Well, this, this is my first effort to create a show. Although, well, you know, I mean, well, I've been on the other ones that were created, but those were always group efforts. This is my first one by myself, even though I'm never going to record one without a co-host. So, well, uh, you never say never. You never know. You might there might be some special occasion where you're just like, I got this one to myself. It could happen. At least I, I have the, the the power to do that if I should, should mm -hmm. so choose. Uh, Ryan, what else are you on? 
Well, I have a number of shows on the Fire and Water podcast network, which is the Boston Red Sox to two true freaks New York Yankees. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> You can never line me up with the Yankees, pal. Oh, yeah, I don't even know if that's good or bad. See, well, I was he's, figuring he's a bunch just of talking star- rivals, and I think we're much more friendly rivals. So, <laughs> as as evidenced by your appearance on here, my appearance occasionally on Fire and Water shows. <laughs> I was just hoping that a lot of Star Trek fans would get the baseball rivalry reference, but um, <laughs> you can find me on the Secret Origins podcast, which reviews issues of the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the 1980s. I also do a Star Wars podcast called Give Me Those Star Wars and a uh, more obscure Power of Fishnets, which is devoted to the DC superheroines Black Canary and Zatanna. Cool. Uh, Mr. Franklin. Black Canary was the first superhero lady that I ever really remember having funny thoughts about, and I was really (laughs) up, too. Uh, I just dirtied Ryan's podcast. We're going to tell that story someday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I i must have been like five or six but i remember going there's something about special about that black canary mm-hmm. <laughs> ryan knows there's an issue of world's finest where there's black canaries naked in silhouette and I, that was like one of the first comics i had so i'm i'm in the same boat with you chris so <laughs> <laughs> and then a werewolf jumps out of a shower <laughs> yes exactly it's right, so why we cleanse ourselves by hearing about the show that you do with your wife, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Cindy's probably going to come in here and smack me in any minute. Um, I do the Supermates podcast with my wife, Cindy, on the Fire and Water Network, where Ryan's at. And I'm also on the Power Records podcast with Rob Kelly. Oh, and just uh, I just did this yesterday that's worth mentioning. Uh, I have a, uh, an email now. So uh, anybody who's interested in writing in to talk about movies that we reviewed or request movies to be reviewed should write in at JawsPodcast, one word, at gmail.com. And thank you very much for listening, and hopefully you'll be back to listen to more because these, these guys will be back at some point or another, every one of them. Since my customary farewell would appear oddly self-serving, I shall simply say, good luck.